You know, as I was, uh, well, first of all, uh, when Ashley and JJ, they had already kind of had planned for her birthday, which was Tuesday, um, this past Tuesday, they had kind of planned a little weekend cruise. They got a deal on, they were going in. Uh, they've been communicating with Chris and uh, with the band, and, um, and Ashley told them, they were like, well, what do you want us to do? What songs do you want? What, and, and how do you guys, you know, how do you guys, when do you get together and plan all this? And Gary, we were kind of telling them how we do it. And um, how the band, man, and, and Matthew, and I brush up Tom, he's not here today, right? But uh, how the band gets together on Monday nights at the studio, and they pray, and man, they get together and figure out what God wants to, you to, how he wants to, they want to, you know, God wants you to be led in worship. And the songs, and how it's amazing that when God gives me the message, or gives Seth, or gives who, Zane, whoever the message, and then the band comes together, and how the songs all just come together in that. And so uh, you might have thought we sort of left you hanging, but, man, you had the best guide ever. And I'm just going to tell you, dude, all those songs, man, were phenomenal for exactly what God wants to have here today. And I thank you guys for being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And uh, he gave you the right songs. I, I can't wait to hear what you're going to close with today uh, based on this message. No pressure, man, at all. <laughs> dude, it's the Holy Spirit. All we're supposed to do is follow, man. That's our spirit-filled life. One step, what do you want me to do now, God? And do it. That's it. You know, too often we're like, what's the will of God for my life? I'm not even preaching on this yet, all right? So hold on. What's the will of God for my life? And, and how many of you ever asked that question? What's the will of God? And, and you're looking in the future for the will of God in your life way out there. And, and if he shows you way out there, you're going, I'll commit to that. Because you know you don't have to commit right now. But I want to tell you the will for your God, the God's will for your life right now is the next step. What he wants you to do right now. What he wants you to do when you leave here. That's the will. And if you take every step he wants you to take, man, it's going to be the right step. And you're going to end up exactly where he wants you to end up. Anybody give me a you and agree with that? That's it, man. And so today, uh, really what we're going to be looking at is do the right thing. You want to know what you're supposed to do next? Do the right thing. Everybody say that. Do the right thing. It's that simple. What's the right thing to do? According to God, not according to your feelings, which lie to you. How many of y'all ever had your feelings lie to you before? Yeah. How many had this world system lie to you before? How many have had the devil lie to you? Those are our enemies. But the word of God will not lie to you, and the Holy Spirit will not lie to you. The Holy Spirit will never go against God's word, and he'll lift up Jesus. Man, what a powerful, what a wonderful name it is, the name of Jesus. The power of that name. You guys who have ever shared the gospel with people, you've ever talked to people, I want you to notice something. You can talk to them about God. You can say things about God. But when you start bringing up the name of Jesus, there's power in that name. You might get resistance, but it's only by, there's only one name by which we're saved. And what's that name? Jesus. Jesus. That's who we lift up is Jesus. We've been left here to be ambassadors. And the only way we can be ambassadors for him is to do the what? Right. The right thing. So as I was studying the, the last section of Acts chapter 16, uh, the very last section that we had left to go in there, um, I, I just started being reminded over and over again of, about a, a tool that God gave me when I was a youth pastor on how to make decisions. How many of you all know the tic-tac-toe decision model? Let me see your hand. All right, good. Bunch of y'all are fixing to learn it, man. Um, I've been doing it since 
the early 90s when God gave this to me. I've got, I've got guys in their 40s now that have it written on one of my business cards on the back of it from back when they were teenagers and wanting to know what to do. What's God's will for my life? What do I do next? What do I do about this girl that likes me and this one and all these different things? And the answer is always to do the but I'm going to give you a tool today. You can take a picture of it up here uh, with your phone. Uh, you, can, you can take notes. It's real super simple. Uh, maybe I can resurrect some old cards or JJ can make some. But this tool is a phenomenal tool. And you're not going to learn anything revolutionary, but it's a phenomenal tool for you to use when you are trying to make a decision. And it will help you do the what? The right thing, okay? So here's the, here's the tool. You can actually start off with a little tic-tac-toe board here. Uh, and up in the upper left corner is the, word, is the letter D. That stands for decisions. Everybody say decisions. decisions. How many of y'all are tired of me telling you what to say already? <laughs> you're like, dude, I just wanted to lay. I want, you're messing up my nap, all right? But I'm going to keep doing that, all right? But, so the D is for decisions. You have a decision to make. Always, oh, right now you got a decision whether you're going to, dude, I know that church face. How many of y'all know the church face where the light's on and nobody's home? You're staring at the pastor like this and you even know when to kind of do that. But nothing's going in. You're just like, man, a lot of people got that down. I'm going to call on you if I see that face, all right? But we have decisions to make all the time. I want you to know what I'm giving you, I got from God to give to you for us. And we're all going to be held accountable as to how we use this. Uh, so we have decisions to make all the time. All right, so that's what that D stands for. Now, I'm going to use Galatians 6, 7, 8, 9 uh, as kind of a, a, I don't call it a proof text, but it's the biblical context of, of, of how, of, of this being right right here. So if you look at Galatians 6, 7, it says, do not be deceived. What does it mean to be deceived? Hey, Connor, what does it mean to be deceived? Tricked. And if you're deceived, do you know you're deceived? Really? If you're deceived, if you're, like, how many of y'all, uh, right, sometimes you're a smart guy because most people, when they're deceived, they don't know they're deceived. That's why it's called deceived, but you, you raised a smart boy, all right? All right, because he can tell when he's, and you mean when you're deceived and you know you're deceived, you just keep doing it. I think that's something else, bro, but anyways, I'm messing with you, but so here's the deal, man, uh, and that's not the last question. You'll get one right here coming up, but, um, but literally, when we're deceived, we don't know we're deceived, do we? We think we're doing the right thing. And so the Apostle Paul is telling the Galatian church who have Judaizers come and saying, yeah, you need Christ, but you still need to be Jewish and do all this stuff. And, and it doesn't matter what the context, but what they're saying, God's saying through Apostle Paul, don't be deceived. Well, that's easy to say, but he's going to give us steps on how not to be deceived. He starts off by saying, God is not mocked. And so... The bottom line is with every decision you make, there is a wrong decision and a right decision. There are wrong decisions and right decisions, and it does not change with our society. It does not change with how we evolve as humans and become more loving and tolerant and kind and whatever. If God says something's wrong, it's what? Wrong. If he says it's right, what is it? It does not change no matter how your heart feels, no matter what this lying society, which is owned by the devil, by the way. And in the book of Revelations, we see Jesus is going to claim the title back again one day. Amen. Amen. And he's just going to wait till it's done. Uh, we're done messing it up and it's time for him to come back. And, and so this world system, if it says it's right or wrong and it's not, man, we got to go with what God says. And so you say, well, what about the gray areas? How many of y'all ever wonder about gray areas? Again, you know what gray area is? The gray area is this. It's where you know what you're supposed to do. Dig down in your heart, because you're going to agree with me on this, I promise. 
And if you don't, well, I still love you, but a gray area is where we know what we're supposed to do, but we really don't want to do it. And we find every reason and excuse and per, uh, any kind of justification we can find to not do it. We even find scripture and take it out of context and put it in there. And so we have this white area, this white paint, and we put a little bit of darkness into it, which is our flesh and what we desire. We know what God wants us to do, but I don't want to do that. And I'm going to find a way to not do it and justify it and be a good Christian. Because Jesus loves me and loves me perfectly. And he does, by the way. You're not going to lose your salvation. You're just going to have a gray area. And gray's not pretty in your heart. So you take a little bit of darkness and put it in. The more darkness you put in, the darker your gray is. But the fact is, you know, you know that the Bible says in John 14, 26, that the Holy Spirit, when Jesus was trying to tell them that he was going to give them the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the paraclete to walk alongside them, he said, I'm going to teach you everything you need to know, and I'm going to bring, bring to remembrance everything I've already taught you. He'll tell you. He'll make it black and white. And if you want to obey and you want to listen, you want to say, right, what do you want me to do now, God? Do it. There's going to be no gray area. So with everything, he says, be not deceived. God's not mocked. Just because society says it's right now or society says it's wrong does not change anything. God will not be mocked, period. And so, again, it's for our own good. He's the manufacturer. He determines in our life, you know, what, what's best for us. Carl, you like cars, right? What do you put in the gas tank of your car? Gas. What if you get tired of, you notice gas is going up. How many of y'all notice gas is going up? How many of y'all getting tired of paying more money for gas? So you know what? I, I, I have some kids that would volunteer to fill half your tank up with a water hose. How about that? You know what? It would still smell like gas, wouldn't it, Adam? And if it would still taste like gas. You ever suck a, you ever, you never got gas trying to siphon? All right, but you're, you're, you're a fortunate kid. How many of y'all ever siphon gas and suck something? Yeah. I guarantee if it had half water, it would still taste like gas. It would look like gas, smell like gas. It would get you out of the driveway, but it would not get you down the street. You'd break down in the most inopportune times in that. So God, our manufacturer, isn't trying to be a killjoy. He's not trying to kill your creativity in like not letting you do what you want to do. He made you. He knows how you can get maximum performance out of the vehicle he's given you to live life in. And it's through his word. That's why he wants us to do the what thing? The right thing. So be not deceived. God is not mocked. So on the left side, you see a W and an R. What that means is that with every decision you make, there's going to be a wrong decision and a right decision. I have wrestled for years with people about the, they're, 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 there's a neutral decision. There is no neutral decision. There's a wrong decision and a right decision. God is not mocked. Now it says in there, for whatever one sows. Now, for those of you who know, how many of y'all do not know what sowing means? Well, I'll help you. Don't put your hand up. But sowing is this. It's where a guy has seed and a guy's throwing seed out into a place that's been plowed for it to grow. Okay? So it's talking about the seed you sow by the actions that you do. So whatever you do, you're going to reap a harvest of it. Hey, if you sow watermelons, what are you going to reap? Watermelons. Yeah, otherwise you did not sow watermelons. You, you sow corn, what are you going to reap? Corn, or you didn't sow corn. But here we sow sin, and somehow we sow wild oats, and somehow if we pray hard enough for crop failure, we won't reap the consequences, right? You can't sow wild oats and pray for crop failure and get it. 
You're going you're gonna to get the crop you sow. So if you sow the wrong thing, you're going to reap the wrong thing, period. You sow the right thing, you will reap the right thing. And it's a given fact. It's just the way God made things. So the D stands for? Decisions. decisions. The W stands for? Wrong. wrong decisions. The R stands for? Right. right decisions. So he says, for whatever one sows, that he will also reap. Those are consequences that we have, which is the S and the L. Because here's what most people think, all right? Most people think, all right, Adam, punch me in the face really hard, all right? No, don't do that. But there's going to be a consequence, right? How many of y'all know there's going to be an immediate consequence when he punches me in the nose? And, but, but, and then that goes away. I don't have to deal with it ever again. I go home and act as normal, right? No, there's a long-term consequence. So with each decision we make, right or wrong, there's going to be a short-term consequence and there's going to be a long-term consequence. Anybody understand that? You push, pull, drag your car in, and they guarantee you they're going to get you a new car whether you can afford it or not, <laughs> right? You go in there and I can't afford a new car, but man, they'll make a way for me to sign. You know, there you go. I got a short-term consequence. I got a new car. Long-term consequence is when it gets repoed, right? And now I'm embarrassed with all the neighbors. But anyway, he goes way beyond that. I'm saying with every decision you make, right or wrong, there's going to be a short-term consequence and a long-term consequence. So help me out with this so far. The D stands for? The W is? The R is? The S is? Short-term. The L is? All right, so we got that. Now let's look and see how this plays out according to Scripture. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, he will also reap. Those are your consequences, both short and long. Look what he says. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap, flesh, uh, will reap of the flesh corruption. Okay? Sowing to the flesh, that's what I want as opposed to what God wants. Okay? Now I'm not saying sometimes you... You don't want what God wants, but in Scripture, when he talks about the flesh, it's sowing to what I physically, the lust of the eyes, the lust of uh, uh, the pride of life, um, the lust of the flesh. It's those three temptations that are mentioned in 1 John 2.16. Those are the only ways you can be tempted, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. It, it's what I want as opposed to what God wants. And so if I do what I want as opposed to God, what God wants, Emily, is that a right decision or a wrong decision? If I do what I want as opposed to what God wants. Dude, you look like a deer with a head. That was the lights on, nobody home. Got you. Is it a wrong decision or a right decision? A wrong decision. How many of y'all believe that is a wrong decision? Yes, it's a wrong decision. But why do we make wrong decisions? Because the short-term consequence of a wrong decision is usually, is it good or bad? Good. I go and get a new car that I can't afford. Um, the short-term consequence, is it good or bad? It's good because I don't have to drive that embarrassing thing anymore. I don't have to keep calling the tow truck. I don't have to keep fixing it. I don't have to worry. I only say it's right now, it's good. And you could apply this to any decision you want to make. But when you make the wrong decision, more often than not, the reason we make that wrong decision is because it's good right now. Hey, I'll loan you all this money right now. Don't worry about how you're going to pay it back. It's all, I, mean, I, keep, I don't want to keep talking about money. I don't know why God keeps bringing that up. But I'm just saying, there's all kinds of things. I'm at Sonny's with all-you-can-eat chicken, dude. <laughs> I'm just like, I don't know if we're going there or not, wherever you guys want to go. But, man, I've already eaten two whole chickens. But it's all you can eat. See, bring me another one and another one. I already paid for it. Is that a wrong or a right decision? 
wrong. It may feel good now because I'm getting my money's worth, but when I'm laying in the hammock, let it go, oh, I can't believe I ate the whole thing. It's a, it's a bad thing. So here's what happens when you make a wrong decision. It's generally good at the beginning, and it's bad at the end. Look what he says. The one who sows to his flesh will reap, what's the word? Corruption, Corruption means, it's the word rust. Hey, if I take, um, if I were to take, you know, your, 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 you know, some tools, all right, take some tools off your truck there, Zane, and I throw them in the ocean, are they going to immediately rush right now? No. But if I leave them there, what's going to happen? They're going to rust. That's what this word corruption means. It doesn't happen instantly. In fact, they could still be rescued. So if you made a wrong decision, no, it's like rust. You can back out of it. Don't, don't do it. You're not stuck in it yet. And the sooner you get those tools out, the better, right? The longer you leave them in, the worse it's going to be. And that's what God says happens when we make the wrong decision. He says, man, it's like corruption. It's not. And what does Solomon even say? He says, because man's sins and consequences don't come expediently right now, man continues to sin. Look, I did this. I jumped across God's line and nothing happened to me. Look, I'm going back and forth. Here I am. I'm here. I'm here. Nothing's happening to me. But guess what? There are consequences. Has our society not suffered consequences because of wrong decisions of our society not following God? And they don't come immediately. How many of you have seen this world get better and better and better and better in society where you are like, oh, I would never want it like it was when I was a kid? No, we dream of the Leave it to Beaver days or for you 90s people, the Hannah Montana days or whatever. I'm just saying, dude, we live in a sick society. Is it getting better or worse? And so what I'm saying is that's corruption. It doesn't always happen instantly. You stick your hand in fire. That's kind of instant, right? Okay. And there are short and long term. But, man, the idea is this, that we often and we are taught by our society to make decisions that gratify us right now. And man, Caleb, if you make decisions right now what, based on only what is good for you right now, chances are you're going to make what kind of decision? A bad one, a wrong one. Yeah. How many of you ever made a bad decision because you had to make it right then and there? Yeah. And then those long-term consequences kick in, don't they? You know? So I want you to understand, I'm not saying that every decision you make, right, this is always, but nine times out of ten, this is it. Be careful. And again, I'm going to tell you, we're not supposed to make decisions based on consequences, my psychic friend, because how many of y'all actually know the actual consequences that are going to be? This is a generalization, but it's pretty true. If you knew the consequences, man, go play the lottery, or if you don't gamble, go, go do the stock market. <laughs> and, and I'm just saying, you, if you really knew the future, you could... You can make decisions based on it, but you can pretty much guarantee that when you're making a decision, a wrong decision, you're making it because it's good for you right now and know the consequences are going to come and hit you later. So we don't make decisions based on consequences. We make them based on right and wrong. And remember that. So look at the next part of this verse. It says, but the one who sows to the spirit. Okay, here you go, Emily. You, you get to like... Another shot. No, I'm just messing with you. You're awake now, see? You thought I was joking, man. But when you sow to the Spirit, is that a good decision or a bad decision? 
Even if God, even if your flesh wants something, lust of the flesh, I want this, I need this, but God doesn't want me to have it. Is it still a good decision to go with God? Even though you don't want it right now? Or you do want it? Yeah. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life, man. And, 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 and if we sow according to the spirit what God wants as opposed to what we want, look what he says. He will, uh, from the, uh, we sow to the spirit, will from the spirit, not from the consequences, not from, it's going to be from the spirit of God, which is Jesus, okay? The Holy Spirit is not some inanimate object. The Holy Spirit is God himself. The God who is on the mountain giving the Ten Commandments. The God who split the Red Sea. That's the God that lives in you if you're born again. The God, Jesus, that did every miracle, did all this. The God that's Jesus that rose himself from the dead. That's the God. That's the Holy Spirit that's living inside of you. God the Father. God the Son. God the Holy Spirit. That's God. And he says, so of that spirit, God, of God, you will reap, what does it say? Eternal life, not, not temporary death, not temporary life. No, it says eternal life. How long does eternal last for? Forever. And it's not necessarily a quantity as much as it is a quality. You understand your eternal life that you have, it started the minute that you were born again. And it's a quality of life that you can experience, not something you have to wait for once you're dead. Now, it gets better and better. And when we are in heaven, it's going to be way better than we are having on earth right now. Anybody know that? How many of you are glad heaven is, this is not your home? Amen? Man, my home is heaven and it's going to be awesome. And I'm going to be there way longer than I'm ever on this planet here. So, but while I'm here, if I will go against the, my flesh, if I will go against what this world system says, if I will go against what Satan's trying to get me to do, and I do what God wants me to do, the crop that I am going to harvest is called eternal life. Now, do you always get the rewards from doing the right thing right now? Nope. In fact, most of the time you don't. It takes time. In fact, there's some things we're not going to reap rewards for until we get to heaven. <laughs> that we're not going to see the benefit of until we get to heaven. But that's where faith comes in. We trust him. That if I seek first, seek only, seek always the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything I need will be added unto me. Not, not just in heaven, not just here, all forever. It's all going to be added to me. He said, so I'm going to reap eternal life. So again, when I make the right decision, the short-term consequence is usually? Bad. Help me out. There's a B there. The short-term consequence is usually what? Bad. But the long-term consequence is guaranteed to be good. Yeah. And I don't always have to wait until I get to heaven for that. Okay, so let's go over the DSLWGBRBG real quick right now. Okay, you guys up there. Nicole. All right, you got it, man? The D stands for? The S stands for? And the L stands for? Long-term. I'm just putting you on the spot here. And the W stands for? Wrong decisions. The R stands for? And when we make the wrong decision, generally we make it because of short-term consequences, what? But the long-term consequence ends up being? And when we make the, what's the R stand for again? When we make the right decision, the short-term consequences often? Yeah. You know, your Sophie goes and she spills like nail polish all over your furniture. And you're like, which one of my three angels did that? You know? <laughs> And if she says, oh, mommy, I'm so sorry, it was an accident, I did it. Is there going to be no repercussions because she was, like, straight up and off? No, there's going to be a little retribution at first. You know, there'll be, uh, 
we'll find something that you would get angry about, all right? But I'm just saying, <laughs> even though you make that right decision, say, yes, I did this, I did, there's still consequences. So we make the right decision, short-term consequences are often bad, but in the long run, we're guaranteed they're going to be good. Now, check this out. The next verse says this, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we don't what? If we don't give up. How many of you ever tried to turn over a new leaf and then you gave up because it was too hard? Anybody do that? I quit. Here's why. Look at this. Look at this. When you make the wrong decision, you've got those good short-term consequences, but then all of a sudden the long-term bad consequences start hitting, right? Isn't that what makes us turn over a new leaf? Isn't that what encourages us to do things different? If you do what you've always done, you get what you've always got, and I don't want this anymore, so I'm going to do it different. Does that mean when you change your mind and say, I'm going to do it different, that all those bad consequences go away? No. no some of those stay with you forever, or at least this lifetime. <laughs> and, and so we have bad long-term consequences right there that don't go away. You can't sow wild oats and pray for crop failure. Sometimes God has mercy and gets rid of them, but most of the time we need them as a lesson to remind us to not do that again. So I turn over a new leaf and I'm experiencing bad long-term consequences. Now I start making the right decision, right? I start making the, the right decision, Emily, and all of a sudden, what am I experiencing in the short term? Bad short-term consequences. So look at that. Is that not a tough time to live right there? You're experiencing bad consequences all the way around, but that's where faith comes in. And you can trust God that he says, don't grow weary in doing good. Doing what? Good. Because he says, for in due season. That's after the long-term consequence harvest has come. And the good, good long-term harvest is coming. He says, in due season, we will reap good if we don't what? So don't give up if you are in that particular spot. And then so he says, and this is the culmination of this part here, the message number one today. No, I'm just <laughs> we only have like 16 verses after this, it's all, but we're going to bust through them here. Look. Okay, so verse 10 this says, so then, so because we know this, he says, as we have opportunity, let us do what? Yeah. To who? Everyone, that's including us, that's including our neighbors, that's everyone. Let's do good to everyone, and especially, he's talking to believers who are being persecuted, which is who the New Testament was written to for the most part, especially to those who are of the what? Your church family. And that's not this, this church. We have spies from TC3. No, I'm joking. We're all part, we're all part of the same kingdom. We're all on the same team, man, you know? Uh, almost every one of you that don't live here permanently have other churches up there. It doesn't matter. You're here. I get to help you see life from God's perspective. When I'm with you, you do the same. And so the household of faith is believers. We help each other see life from God's perspective. We're not in any kind of competition. We're in, in a kingdom, right, Teresa? Yeah, Clinton's missing you up there right now at Word of Life Church or Word of Truth. Word, yeah, Word of Truth Church. He's missing you bad. He needs stuff. You should record. Amen. Right on. Preach it, brother. Record it so he can play it, all right, since while you're here. So, again, when we make decisions, there's wrong decisions, right decisions. There's short-term consequences, long-term consequences. When we make the wrong decision, the short-term consequence is usually good but the long-term is bad. Make the right decision. The short-term's often bad, but the long-term is good. Now, I was remembering this tool 
as I've read through the book of Acts in chapter 16, especially the end. And so I want to use that as an illustration, and you help me out in applying this, okay, um, in there. So again, we're talking about doing the, Adam, what are we doing? The right thing. You want to know what to do? Do the right thing. There it is. All right, so I'm going to bust through this. We're starting way back in verse 16, the first story. I'll read the first one, and then we'll apply it, all right? So he says, as we, that's Luke, uh, Timothy, Paul, and Silas, they're all going through Philippi at this point. As we were going to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought, she was demon-possessed, and brought her uh, owners much gain by fortune-telling. We've already preached on all this, so I'm not going to preach through it again. I just want to apply it to the tool that I showed you. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High, the God who proclaims to you the way of salvation. And again, just because it's supernatural doesn't mean it's of God. And many times Satan has a bunch of truth with just a little bit of lie in it. And we've got to be careful with that. But then it says she kept doing it for many days. Paul having become greatly, what's the word? Doesn't that make you feel good that the Apostle Paul was what? He was annoyed? How many of y'all are okay with that? Now, that doesn't mean that's not a sin, okay? He was not perfect like Jesus, all right? You didn't see, and Jesus was annoyed. You know, if he did, it was holy, righteous indignation, right? Yeah, not with Paul. Paul was just a, a guy like us. He was annoyed, all right? And so, having become greatly annoyed, he turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came out that very hour. We've already preached on all of this. So it came out of her, but when her owners saw that their hope was ga of gain was gone, not that they saw that their slave girl who had they been prostituting and making money off of, her spirit of divination was delivered, not because, but when they saw that her hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, the only two Jewish-looking dudes in the whole thing. The other two guys were Gentiles, and they didn't get seized, all right? Anti-Semitism, it really was. They seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers or the judges. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, the judges, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept and practice. The crowd joined in in attacking them. The magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And then... They had inflicted, after they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. So what does the jailer do to keep them safely? Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison, the nastiest little inner place, fastened their feet to stocks, being spread their legs out in the most uncomfortable position where they had to sit up after having their backs ripped open from being beaten. So he was a pretty kind guy, right? And so there it was. All right? So... So in this situation, okay, we're going back to our, 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 our situation, all right? So Paul and Silas and Luke and uh, Timothy, they had a decision to make. Here's this demon-possessed girl, and the only way to get a demon out is to put a Jesus in, amen? amen. And, and so they had a choice. This girl is already annoying them, so what do they do? The, the wrong thing would have been to run and avoid that person who's going to be a pain in their rear end instead of try to bring them to Jesus, right? But that's not what they did. He probably did it for a few days, and the Holy Spirit finally got him in a holy headlock and said, Go share the gospel with this girl. They removed the demon. We have indication the girl got saved because Paul did the right thing. They shared the gospel. And so when they did the right thing, okay, let me ask you a question. All right, what were the immediate consequences for Paul and Silas? Bad. Bad. They got, dude. 
They just took away one of the cash cows for one of the bigwigs in the town of Philippi where they're trying to plant a church. And so immediate consequences are bad. They got thrown in prison. They got thrown in not only prison, but the bottom of the prison. They got their legs stretched out. They got their backs ripped open. But it's what God said for them to do. So it was the right decision. And we're going to find out later how the long-term consequence ends up being good. How about the girl? How about the girl? She had a pretty cool skill, pretty cool talent, pretty cool gift, if you want to call it that. She had everybody, even if she was a slave to somebody, she had attention. How many of y'all know people want attention? Even if it's bad attention? She was, a, she was a highlight. She got pimped around all over the place, and she was really important, telling people their future and so on. But when they cast out the demon, it, I think she found that freedom. Hey, let me ask you a question. Was it the right decision or the wrong decision for her to give her life to Christ? It was the right decision. So, so immediately she now lost all her prestige. Now she's worth nothing to somebody, but she's not worth nothing to everybody. Who's she worth everything to now? Jesus. To Christ in all of this. Okay, so now the Philippian jailer. You may have other relationships in here you're looking at, and you can bring those up, but the Philippian jailer. Okay, so here he is. He's told, all right, I want you to, I want you to put these guys, just secure them. Look what they said, verse 20, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Do you not think there's a safe way to keep these guys who are just preaching the gospel? Do you think you really had to go all the extra steps of taking these guys who have their backs ripped open, putting them in the dungeon with their legs spread and uncomfortable? Do you think you had to do that? So he made the wrong decision. He made the wrong decision in this and, and doing it that way. Okay? Um, so, but look what happens here. About midnight, Paul and Silas were, what were they doing? They were praying and singing. So here they are, backs ripped open, spread out like, and uncomfortable. But did they make the right decision or the wrong decision? The right decision. How many of y'all think there is a possibility, all right, you guys are on your way home, you get arrested uh, for something you didn't do, is another car speeding by, and the cops basically have you beat, your backs are ripped open, they put you in jail. How many of y'all would be claiming your rights right now? That's my right, you don't have no right. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong for you guys. I'm just saying, do these guys have a right to claim their rights? A right? Dustin, do they have a reason to be upset? How many of y'all would say, you know what? That crossed my line. If God allowed that to happen to me, I don't care what kind of Christianity I got. I'm not, I, this, ain't for, this ain't of God. This can't be for God. I'm not doing it. But even if God's saying, just hold on, hold on. How many of y'all could like quit on God after that? Anybody? Yeah. Guess what these guys do, man? They see life from God's perspective. They know everything is there to make them look more like Christ. It's for God, their good, and God's glory. So what are they doing? They're, they're talking to God, asking God to help them see it from his perspective. Because when you're praising God, who are you thinking about? When you guys are praising God, who are you thinking about? I mean, I don't know praise songs, oh, life is sorry, and I wish God would help me. I mean, no, praise songs like, God, you're almighty. God, you're wonderful. You start thinking about God, you know God's got it all under control, right? So about midnight, they're praying to God. God, show us this from your perspective. God, we're singing, we're praising you. We don't know what you're up to, and this ain't what we would have picked, but God, we can't wait to see what you're going to do. They made the right decision in this. And the consequences were kind of bad by anybody's standards. And so look what happened. The prisoners were listening to them. Oh, the good consequences are starting to come in. The prisoners are listening. And, and, and other, so people are hearing them saying, dude, there's something weird about these people. There's something different. This is not how normal people act. How many of y'all agree that's not how normal people act? Yeah. 
But people filled with the Spirit of God, that's how they act. And that's how they're, people seeing it from God's perspective, that's how they act. And look what God did. God's like, you just hold on. I got a plan. Look at verse 26. And suddenly there was a what? A great earthquake. God, or did Paul and Silas know that ahead of time? And that's why they're, oh, God, we're praising you. We can't wait for the earthquake. You told us, told us about in prophecy and all. No, they didn't know anything. They just knew they needed to do the what thing? And let God work it all out. So here they are worshiping and praising. All of a sudden, boom, God creates this giant earthquake. <clears throat> so the foundation of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors opened. Everyone's bonds were unfastened. The jailer woke, saw the prison doors were open. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself. How many of y'all would allow him to do that if he had already done all that to you? You said, well, that's God's will for his life. <laughs> No, that's not what happened with spirit-filled people because when you love God, he calls you to love what? Others. And not just yourself. <coughs> Look at this, man. He's about to kill himself. Look what happens. Supposing that the prisoners had all escaped, but Paul, beaten and all of this, cried out, Hey, don't harm yourself. We're all here. So Paul even got all the prisoners to stay because he knew he needed to do the what thing? The right thing. And the right thing is whatever God was telling him to do at that point in time. That's why we've got to stay in constant communication and fellowship with him. Because how many of y'all could see a whole bunch of options for Paul then? <laughs> yeah. Dude, I'm thinking I would be running and I would get as far away and then I'd get on my knees. Okay, what do you want me to do now, God? While they were in the midst of this, what do you want me to do, God? And look at this, the jailer called for the lights, rushed in, trembling with fear as he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, what, must, what did this jailer say? What must I do what? Yeah. More important than Paul's temporal comfort on this earth was the jailer's eternal salvation to someone who was filled with the Spirit. What must I do to be saved? So Paul and Silas, they did the right thing. And it stunk for right then and there. But what an awesome thing to watch God's display in that earthquake. And watch this jailer who beat him and had him in prison who was full of hate and rage. All of them say, what do I have to do to have what you guys have? <laughs> Man, how many of y'all would like to be in the, in the last part? I mean, in the last part. But you don't get to the last part without being in the first part. We always want to have the power of the resurrection, but in Philippians, the book of Philippians, Paul says you don't get the power of the resurrection without the fellowship of his suffering. You don't get the second part without the first part. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what he said. Well, first of all, you owe me an apology, buster. You know that? No. He sees what God's doing. He wants to save somebody eternally. And he says, man, you just need to believe. Put all your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved. And, 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 and I have a prophecy for you. The rest of your household will, too, because they're going to put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. So you see, they did the right thing, and the consequences were bad. They got beat. They got imprisoned. All these things that would cause us to quit and claim our rights and forget about not even bother asking what God wants. God, get me out of this. God, heal me from this. God, take me out of this. Instead, they just held on in their faith, and they now saw God did a huge, wonderful miracle, and there was revival in Philippi, which is where the Philippian church got started. 
Was that long-term consequence good or bad? That's awesome. You want to know why we don't see a lot of awesome things? It's because I don't think we're willing to put up with a lot of non-awesome things. Where's our comfort zone? Listening to God, letting God do what he wants in our life. And, and, and I think so often we bail ourselves out, we bail each other out, we come up with other circumstances, other situations, and we don't do the right thing. We can justify it and make it the right thing, but man, if you really want to see those supernatural things, you've got to follow God all the way through it. So look at this. The jailer, verse 33, took him the same hour of the night, washed the dude who gave him the wounds. What did he do just now? Washed their wounds. And he was baptized, didn't care who saw, baptized, public proclamation of his faith. And he and all his family, because they gave their life to Christ too. Then he brought them up to his own house. He started feeding them where he was starving them before. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had what? Believe. Believed in God. He had something way more valuable than his job. Paul and Silas now were part of something way more valuable than their rescue and their delivery. They, and, and this is the, what we see in the book of Acts over and over and over until we can have that mentality that for me to live is Christ. That's it. For me to live is Christ and to die is, which he says is better because that's my home in heaven. Until he, we have that mentality, we don't see, we don't experience what the book of Acts has there. And I'm not saying God's called all of you to do exactly this, but I will tell you this. If you say, what do you want me to do now, God? And you do it. He says, all that live righteous will be persecuted. There will be some. But when you experience the phenomenal movement of God in your life, the persecution means nothing. In fact, that draws us closer to him. It's an awesome thing, but not according to this world. That's why we make a lot of wrong decisions, because we want good short-term consequences. We're almost done here. We're hitting the new part now. Already, <laughs> We already preached on this already, man. So it's only 10 after, man. We're good. Almost, we're almost done. But, look at this, okay, this is the part where I really started thinking about this model here. But when it was day, the magistrates, the judges, they sent to the police. Now, I don't know if they knew about the earthquake or any of that other stuff. I'm not sure if it was localized, centralized. I don't know. But all I know is that when the day came, the magistrates got up, felt pretty good about themselves because they had shown these Jews, you don't come to our town and do all of this. They kind of had people scared into submission because of their police authority and so on. And so the magistrates sent the police saying, hey, let those guys go. We think they've suffered long enough, all right? And uh, the jailer reported these words to Paul. The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come now and go in peace. How many of y'all think that, and Linda, would that be good news? Oh, yeah. That would be awesome news. Yes, I'm free. But you're not the Apostle Paul, are you? We're all trying to be the Apostle Paul, aren't we? Watch what Paul does. What do you think Paul says before I pull up the screen? You think he says, all right, let's go. Let's go to McDonald's or let's have a pick, you know? No. But Paul said to him, hmm. They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are what? Hey, so back when Paul was getting beaten and arrested and they thought they were just Jews kind of messing things up, Paul was actually what kind of citizen? And you could not beat or imprison or do anything to a Roman citizen without, their, uh, without having a trial because Roman citizens had rights where non-Roman citizens didn't. So that's even more important to realize back here when Paul was getting arrested and beaten and the Holy Spirit says, don't claim your rights, don't claim your rights, don't claim your rights. How hard would it be for you to shut up when you have rights? Whew, that's hard. What if the Holy Spirit says shut up? Yeah, they did. 
You're saying, well, that's just stupid. Well, that's the right decision. <laughs> How many of y'all, I'm not even going to have you raise your hand, because every one of us inside are like, that's just stupid. I'm claiming my rights. But God said don't to them at that particular time in that instance, because God had a bigger plan. And it was all for the Philippian church to be planted. When you go read the book of Philippians, and Paul's writing that from a Roman prison too, the Philippians and how much he loves them. This is the birth of it. So Paul says, wow, you guys who just want us to leave, you know, you, we were uncondemned men who are Roman citizens. What do you think now the magistrates and judges said? Two words, uh-oh. <laughs> because now they could be seriously put, they could have, you know, done to them what they did to the, to, to the Roman citizens. And you threw us in prison. Now, do they, throw, do they now throw us out secretly? Let them come and tell them ourselves, uh, tell them themselves to come take us out. So in this, basically, Paul's saying, no, we're not going to leave secretly. We want to have an encounter with these guys. Not so he can shake his finger at them and do this. But do you think, let me ask you a question. If they got a church started with this rich lady named Lydia, who's now got a big house at this central headquarters for it. They've now got a slave girl. They've got a jailer. They've got numerous people that have all got given their life to Christ in this church. Now, the head officials here owe them, <laughs> in a way to say it. Even if they don't owe him, do you think those officials are always, and I'm not saying they extort him or his blackmail, but I'm saying, do you not think that those Roman officials are, in Philippi are going to be a little nicer to them? Do you not think it would bring favor to the Philippian church? Do you not think that it would help the Philippian church to grow because he gave up his rights here? They were unjustly abused. They came with forgiveness and, and, and salvation. And now it benefited the church in Philippi, which happened to be Paul's favorite church. You guys know in Philippians 1, 6, where Paul said, he said, man, when he started out, he said, every time I think of you guys, man, every time, my heart I rejoices. I, man, it brings joy to me every time I think of you guys. You guys that I send texts to every morning when I push that button out there to send it to you, man, it makes my heart smile when I send those out to you guys. That's how Paul felt about that Philippian church. But it would have never happened if he had come back here claiming his rights. You've got, and again, I'm not saying don't use your rights. Don't get me wrong. What I'm saying is do the right thing, and the right thing is whatever the Holy Spirit tells you to do. That's the bottom line. So he said, let them, let them come out of themselves. Look at this. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were what? Right. Yeah, because they knew consequences could come upon them. And they were trying to now, like politicians, make things kind of smoothed out, which was yeah. going to be beneficial to the Philippian church. And they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and, look, the Roman, the guys who threw him in prison and had him beat did what? They just did what? Apologize to them. Is that not going to help the Philippian church? Yes. It's all for the cause of Christ. That's how the Holy Spirit's going to lead you. And so, man, they were afraid when they heard. So they came and apologized to them. They took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, the rich lady in the house. It's now the central headquarters of the Philippian church. And when they had seen the brothers, that's the other brothers in there, they, now look at the wording change, because in the past, in this, it was us. So Luke is writing this gospel account, and it was Luke and Silas and Paul and Timothy. And so now it's they. So again, Paul, it sounds like Paul and Timothy are taking out uh, to go share the gospel other places. And I think Luke and Timothy are going to stay behind to minister to this church. They're not going to leave them hanging. Man, did Paul not leave this church in a good place? 
Now they're not the enemy. Now everybody's apologizing. Hey, are you Roman citizens? Hey, you know, we didn't like mess you up. Hey, you guys need a venue? You guys, you know, all because they gave up their right. They, not because they gave up their rights, but because they did what the Holy Spirit of God said to do. So in this situation, Paul and Silas and Timothy, did they do the right thing or the wrong thing? They did the right thing. And the short-term consequence was? And that's an understatement, right, in most of our books. But the long-term consequence for the Philippian church was what? It was good. The jailers, they just wanted to please the people. Crucify them. Put them in jail. Beat them up. All this. What did they do? They, beat, they did all that, and it was, the, it was what? It was the wrong decision. Initially, it was good because they got what they wanted. But later, they were eating crow, which is bad. <laughs> and they had to be nice to them from that point on. And hopefully, I hope when I get to heaven and I meet the people from the church in Philippi, I hope that all these people all got saved. I hope we find out the church was made up of all of those folks. But again, all we have to remember is to what? To do the right thing. Very quickly, and it's the last time, I think, unless the Holy Spirit puts on my heart again, but the D stands for, and with every decision, we have two choices, which are right, wrong or right. And with every wrong or right decision, there's consequences. There's short term and there's long term. When we make the wrong decision, generally the short-term consequence is what? And the long-term, yeah, the, the, we, it's good, but then the long-term consequence is bad. When we make the right decision, all right, Emily, you ready? When we make the right decision, the short-term consequence is usually, but the long-term consequence is good. So when you're turning over that new leaf and you've got the long, bad, you know, long-term consequences, all of a sudden you have the bad short-term consequences, he tells us, he said, don't what? Don't quit, man, because you're going to outgrow those, and you're going to get to be where you want to be. So if you want it in a nutshell, you're just supposed to do the right thing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us this in your word. Father, thank you for giving us this living example from the book of Acts. Father, I can't even imagine if so many of us were called to plant, and we just did it in our own feelings. We did it... Um, trying to play along with the system and hiring lawyers to do this and that and the other. Father, I don't think that Philippian church would be what it, what it became. Father, I pray that instead of using our own resources, which you do have us use, but under the guidance and direction of your Holy Spirit taking priority, Father, I just pray that that's what we would do. We would do the right thing with every decision we are called to make. It would be that one step. What do you want me to do now, God? And then we would be faithful and take that next step in your power and in your presence. And if we take every step that you have ordained for us that way, we will end up where you want us to end up with results so much better than we could have ever imagined. Father, I pray if there's someone here today who has never surrendered their life to Jesus. They don't know their home is in heaven. They've never surrendered it because they're just not willing to give up their life, to give up the rights. That seems like that would be a bad thing, to give up the rights to their life. And in their, in their mindset right now, without Christ, it is a bad thing because they would no longer be in control. But Father, I pray that you would show them that if they keep the rights right here, that the long-term bad consequence would be very bad. That when they died without Christ, they would be separated for eternity from you in hell. 
I pray you'd give them a desire they can't refuse right now to surrender everything they know about themselves, everything they know about you, and right now be born again by just giving up their life to you because not only will it be good eternally, but you show us how it's good right now. You guide us, direct us. You show us your perspective. You give us power to, to make it through everything that you have put in our life. And you tell us that without faith, it's impossible to please you. So every impossible situation is there for us to please you through the faith that you give us. And it's going to be awesome when we get to heaven. So, Father, I pray that we would each do the right thing right now with every decision we've got to make. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name.